We're known as the folks that help people create multi-generational wealth. We manage money not in the millions, but obviously in the billions. We've made some mistakes, and some of the investments that I didn't think would take off have been amazing. If you found a 40 to 1 return in any marketing channel, why stop doing it, whether it's Hudson or anything? The challenge is always time and attention. Welcome back to the Optimize Podcast. Today we have a very special guest, my dear friend, client, we've known each other for years, Mark Murphy. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Jay. The way that the structure here works, I'm uh, joined by my fellow co-host, the one and only Jay Abraham. And Jay, as you know, is a world expert and an icon with everything to do with optimization, performance, strategic partnerships, how to find opportunities that you can't see. I'm known for operational efficiency. And the whole point of this is to do a live consultation, have everyone listening right now learn about what your business model is and just kind of listen to our conversation. And we're going to rapid fire ask questions and uh, you'll see we have a certain style of doing that. But the whole point is to really fi figure out how can we add value and come up with something or it might just be out of 100 questions. One question unlocks something that was, you know, with some money sitting there unseen. And that's our whole purpose. How can we find one or two really good ideas for you by the end of this hour? Sound good? It sounds amazing. I, I can't wait. So we like to start it off with what's your business? How do you make money? And how do you get clients? And that kind of kicks off a whole bunch of other things. I started out 38 years ago when a, an insurance company offered me $1,000 a month. And uh, that was $1,000 a month more than I was making. So I, uh, I took the opportunity. And it wasn't, even a, it wasn't even a salary. It was a draw. It became very clear to me that, you know, I, I hear people used to say to me, uh, Nick, I, always I just want a level playing field. Or, uh, you know, then for decades, I used to say, well, you know, who would want a level playing field? I want to run straight downhill. And then I, I wanted to, you know, create something where the only place they could get it but was by working with us. And so I've always, my mantra has always been, I'm not afraid to be different. I'm afraid to be the same. You know, I started to take a look at, there was a lot of people giving advice. There was a lot of financial services firms, wealth management firms, insurance firms, accounting firms, consultants. You know, ultimately, I thought that since everybody was just trying to sell products or services, you know, we decided that we wanted to take the, the, the uh, lane of being a key business strategist and critical thinker and then a financial advisor. And that we thought that, uh, you know, that the people in our industry were not providing a lot of value because they weren't really helping people grow their business or get what they want. And it just became very clear that if you could ask powerful questions, people would tell you what they wanted, and then you could help develop strategy to help them get what they want. And then, you know, they'd be yours for life. And that's sort of uh, sort of been our business model. You also asked me, we right now have about 4,000 entrepreneurs that we do business with. Uh, we're sort of known wow. as, uh, you know, not only key business strategists and critical thinkers and financial advisors, but we're known as the folks that help people create multi-generational wealth. And, you know, now we've even got a, you know, a, a group of our clientele that, you know, are well beyond that. And, you know, now we're trying to make sure they uh, don't become one of the, the, the you know, one of those uh, typical 90% of people who have all their wealth, you know, wiped out by the end of the third generation. And so, you know, we continue to shift and grow as our clientele continues to age and, and grow. And as I said, our, our very, very traditional way, I think your last part of your question was, we get paid oftentimes by fee. Uh, we get paid uh, because we manage money, not in the millions, but obviously in the billions. We're heavily involved in the insurance area as well. We've always stayed true to that. 
And we also get paid because, you know, before you can say you're good at something, you know, where, whether you're a wealth manager or an estate planner or, or a retirement specialist or, 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 you know, or somebody helps create multi-generational wealth, I think really what you have to be is a marketing company first. So we've always been a marketing company and we've done an off, not only a lot of old school and now new school marketing, but uh, we, we now spend a lot of time, um, you know, going back to some of the old school stuff, just making sure that people know that one of the ways they could pay us is to introduce us to good people who can help us. So have you grown the business over, I mean, is are you a principal in the business? I'm a founder of the company and the majority shareholder. Whatever the titular designation, advisors or wealth managers or whatever you call yourselves or whatever designate, how many are there in the business? We've got, uh, we've got a dozen uh, advisors. We've got about 40 employees. You know, uh, uh, as you, Jay, as you get to know me, you'll know we don't suffer fools easily. We keep a medical director on staff. So as you know, in the life insurance world, you need to be able to go your doctor to the insurance company's underwriters to get favorable underwriting for your clients. You know, uh, the, the leader of our uh, wealth management division came from Goldman Sachs. He was a four and a five star rated Morningstar manager, ran his own fund. And, you know, we've got a deep team of people around us. I love it. And I can't remember the guy's name. There's a guy in Beverly Hills that's a big producer, and he's got doctors on staff. He's got everybody. It's a really interesting. So he doesn't screw around and wait for it. He does everything and pre and pre, um, you know, prepackages the whole deal so they don't have to go through all the bullshit. It's really interesting. I love that. So is the product mix that you uh, that you really concentrate on? Is it very? Is like how many? Is it not just building their portfolio? You're doing insurance. You're doing you're doing lots of different things. I, I think that that's sort of the back end and probably five to ten percent of what we do. And and I, and I think Jay, you know, with with great humility, I'd say you know I think we do it not only real well, we do it damn well. But I think that I try that that in many ways people try to commoditize that area. And but what they can't commoditize is they can't commoditize wisdom. And so you know we spend a lot of time solving problems, meaning. You know, to give you an example of some things we've done uh, recently, one of the one of the cool things we did uh, during the uh, uh, the Afghanistan withdrawal, we had a family that was on the death list, and uh, there was uh, there was four little children, uh, uh, and a and a family. We, this was a relative of of a, of a client of ours now, and uh, the wife was killed, and uh, the Biden administration gave them the address and the names of the of the family because he was a judge for the Taliban against the Taliban for the United States government. So they were hunting down not only him and his wife, but his four little kids to kill them. And we were able to get use our political contacts that within an hour, we were on the phone with a Taliban commander. We spent sent $1,000, uh, which is like a million dollars here, to a Dal- Taliban commander. And I could, I could probably take four hours to tell the story. But we navigated that person through and his family through all the checkpoints and eventually out of the country. And it's, it's a story that probably could be a movie, but we've now got them into the U.S. and now they're in uh, in Virginia right now. The family, the three the three kids, and by the way, they were they were tied at the airport, the three and four year old, to the father's body by ropes as Taliban as the Taliban was beheading children at the airport. And so, you know, that, it's that kind of stuff. Or you know, we find a you know a you know let's call it a major construction company who you know who who had said to us, hey, you know, we're very loyal. We've been with our financial advisors and our insurance people and our our, our money folks for many, many years were loyal. We would never change, but we've heard good things about you. We'll take the meeting. And we found out within, you know, in the, at that first meeting through our process that their biggest client had not, had not done business with them in four years. You know, within 48 hours, we found out it was two mid-level managers in a pissing match 
And within 45 days, they had a $40 million contract with them. You know, I think it's, it's more, as I say, with being a key business strategist or critical thinker, you know, helping people, helping people think through their business, because remember who better to advise entrepreneurial people than a fellow entrepreneur and somebody who just, you know, you know, where I think people are paying not only for wisdom, but they're paying for my reach and Rolodex to be able to kind of think through those issues and to try to help them change and get what they want in their life or, you know, where to get their kids in the right college, private college, private high school, that kind of stuff. That's, I could, I have a hundred stories, but I could tell you, you know, I think just gives you a flavor of, you know, the ideas I, you don't want to, fo- you, you want to do the insurance and the investment and the tax stuff better than anybody, but there are not a lot of players, but there are people at that level. You're not the only player there. But I think if you start to dig in this in the strategy piece, you you can play in a in a place where they can only get it from you. It really differentiates you from every other financial advisor, doesn't it? So Nick, I just ironically and and uh, serendipitously, I guess that word is, I just did a an hour long uh, interview of a podcast with John Bowen. He has arguably uh, some of the highest, maybe not as, as big as Mark, but he's got all these. Do you know, do you know John Mark? The name sounds familiar, but I, I, I can't say I can place him. Great. He's a great guy. Yeah. He's really interesting, but we had the whole concentration on this was all things being equal. You can't really, I mean, what, I mean, as far as regular investments, it's, you know, you're not going to have a lot of, of advantage, but if you can help, well, cause we just came out with a book about how to how to grow your business through acquisition and how to, and it, that I, I Mark have about 97 different categories, not just tactics for growing EBITDA without any risk or investment. And that if you as an advisor, wealth manager, whatever you are, you can help your client, your entrepreneurial client, which is where most of the wealth resides anyhow, except for, I guess, real estate people. And if you can help them profoundly grow that, three things happen. Number one, if they're going to exit, you raise them to a much higher multiple and because they're making a lot more profit and their, their revenue raises. But secondly, they they get enough free cash flow that they can obviously put more in, in your, you know, in your uh, various investments or whatever the different uh, classes are. And then three, they're going to tell everybody because you're the only one doing it. And I gave a bunch of uh, precedents. And I also said, if you can basically, you want a great proposition for getting uh, appointments with clients, anybody can give you Twelve percent instead of eleven and a half. But if you can tell an entrepreneur, I can show you how to get hundreds of percent better return on some of the revenue generating activities you're doing right now for no investment or risk. It's a pretty good way to get an appointment. So yeah, I get what you're saying. It's cool. So how have you grown it? Is it is it uh, aggressive marketing, word of mouth, referrals? What's been the driver of the four thousand growth, and how's it allocate eighty twenty between you and the other? 12 advisors. Well, I, it's, you know, I, I, it's, you know, it's mostly the marketing and the work that we have done. I founded it and still, um, you know, majority, in, in the uh, majority uh, partner in the firm. And I think we'll be there, but I, I'll give you a couple of examples. I two or three that come to, come to, come to mind. One is I'll give you our, our dental vertical. Cause I know you've done some work with uh, Tony Robbins, but I, I sit on the board and I'm, I'm a significant shareholder in fortune management that does executive coaching for dentists. So the the story it was that 22 years ago they tried to fire me and bring in another financial advisor, and somehow I was able to flip the script on it. And a few years later, I wound up uh, being a, not only a significant shareholder but a board member. But what was so critical about that is I could meet dentists and I could introduce them to Fortune, 
And within three to six months, they would probably improve their bottom line by 50 to 100%, which would free up the cash flow. And then as we expanded that, you know, we, we, you know, we, we then got involved with, um, uh, you know, I, I founded a deoxychloride mouthwash, which I now have 7,000 dentists that use my product. Uh, I've, I've got it. We've, we uh, invested and were involved in a company called True Blue, which provides it, which is a buying group for doctors. It is, it provides um, negotiations with insurance companies. It provides about 30 services that small dental service organizations and sole practitioners can not only compete and beat big DSOs. I love that. So they're they're, they're profit centers for you as well as access vehicles, correct? It's, you know, it's, it's thinking through that stuff. So how can I provide more value than anybody else? And so if you're a dentist, an example, and I can give you other verticals, you'd be silly to work with me than anybody else because I can, I can, I can get you more revenue through the same work. I can cut your costs. I can help grow your business. We can do anything you want to do. I know Tony and Bernie Stoltz uh, uh, founded that company about 33 years ago. I've been there 22. And the first book I wrote about eight or nine years ago was on mergers and acquisitions in the dental space. I wrote with Bernie uh, Stoltz, the CEO. I mean, so that gives you an example of, of how we'll go deep. So they can only get that experience working with me rather than working with anybody else. The other thing why I was excited about to give you another example, and I hope I don't filibuster this, but I'm so excited to share with you and talk to you guys, is we all come from the strategic coach world. And you know, the book that described our business, I just wasn't eloquent or smart enough to write that book, was Who Not How. And so I decided 35 years ago, I wanted to be a hero to entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial thinking people. And we've spent a lifetime collaborating with people that wanted to be a hero to the same group. And so, you know, I'm hoping, you know, my great wish out of this podcast is that uh, I can go deeper with Nick and he can become a bigger who for me and provide more value to our clients. And, and I'm hoping you can be the same, Jay. That was the exciting thing for me to take this call this afternoon. Yeah. Well, well, it's very interesting. All the different, you know, uh, orthogonal value adds that you find for your clients and Jay and I often talk about, you know, how do we, we, we usually our conversations like last night, it's around how do we partner with PE firms and then we could get, you know, uh, we can help out portfolios of companies within PE firms. But what you're, what you're doing with having thousands of clients that you're able to support far beyond just traditional ways of supporting them with a traditional financial advisor. Yeah. There's people like Jay and I, and probably a lot of other service people with expertise in niche areas that could be a uh, tremendous kind of bolt-on value-add, you know, differentiator for your business. Yeah. I, it just parenthetically, Mark, uh, I am a principal and it's, they're, they're consolidated now, but three different uh, uh, dental mastermind groups that are run by uh, the guy that's probably the, you know, the preeminent educator to general uh, practitioners on how to add an implant subspecialty and, the reason that's very interesting is the typical one subs out about a half a million dollars of implants to perio, endos, uh, uh, oral surgeons, and about 10% of them are complex that they couldn't be taught to do, but most of them they are. And when they learn how to do it, which it, it can do in, in a couple of different processes, they they bring about 200, 250 back down to their bottom line, which obviously makes the practice a lot more valuable and also gives them a lot more fulfillment and, and it's better than drilling and filling. So I get it. But the guy that does it, you know, he he's endeared himself to 20,000 dentists that he's transformed their life. And I've been trying to get him and he's finally started doing, it. I said, 
that the, the tail can wag the dog. You can be like Tony and create an enormous investment access. And I said, just do a test. And he did in the first the first uh, couple of people he called, he sold out a, a very small couple million dollar deal just to prove it. But I get what you're saying. And there's lots of ways to do that. It's very inventive, particularly when you're adding value. And just for your edification, there's probably shortcut ways to go to all kinds of vertical niches and do it. And uh, you might be somebody really fun off off uh, uh, this to talk about because I have nine million ways to structure. I mean, I've done more probably strategic alliances, joint ventures, endorsement deals, recommended provider, co-branding, front end, back end uh, than I think anybody out there. But it's really hard to get people to want to do it. So you could be you could be a godsend if we could figure this out. That's very cool. Uh, so let me let me go through through. Uh, marketing and let's I, let's dissect what you mean by marketing. We see the more uh, the more nonlinear and very impressive way, and I love your thinking. It's right in my my bailiwick, and I think Nick's. But what are the ways? What are the other ways you market or your team markets, both in terms of action, investment, how you correlate your allocation of resources? I'd be very interested to hear that, Mark. I would say we were always an old school marketing firm from the beginning in that I probably spent 30% of my time, this is going back to the mid 80s, mm -hmm. entertaining attorneys, accountants, bankers, agents in the sports and entertainment space, and coaches. High-end influence. Yeah, people, and, and obviously some people, you know, there's some people also, Jay, as you know, who are not in that position. They may just be clients, but they've decided they want to make you successful. <laughs> you know, for some reason, they wake up every day and want to help you. And God bless, God bless them. And so the idea is spent a lot of time intentionally and always had the mantra that said, even Jay, if you and I became best friends, I would never take that relationship for granted. I would think that every day I had the opportunity to wake up and earn your business or earn future business from you and never took that from granted. So it was always a mantra that we were never going to get outworked. We never, we always had gratitude and we took, and we, and, and even though those relationships and many of them became some of my closest friends. I never took that for granted, number one, and never got outworked. But I think this, what we've started to do, you know, is obviously we've started to get very involved in social media. You know, we've written a third book. This one got to number one in Amazon on four categories. Uh, we started a podcast, uh, the Hero of the Hour podcast. Uh, you'll have to laugh, Jay, because the first, we finished our first season. We're starting our second season in January. I had Nick on it, but I called it the Hero of the Hour podcast but the tagline was, it's the only podcast you can't understand because I was the world's worst podcast host. I didn't know what I was doing. And now I'm, I'm slowly getting, I haven't put my 10,000 hours in to be, have mastery, but uh, the last half dozen episodes, I'm actually proud of uh, uh, compared to the first, you know, 15, which I, I thought were a train wreck. Um, and I, but, but I think that that's, I thought that's you been did a great job. And um, so let me, Mark, let me ask you this question uh, and, and, I, and just, Judging from what I'm perceiving of you, you're very committed to uh, a dyad where it's a, an outsized amount of uh, content or about size amount of the of the formula is contribution. The other side is is the yield that you get out of that investment, which I understand. Has the podcast yielded you anything? Yeah, it's been it's been tremendous. It's I mean, you know, you always you never want to solve one problem when you can solve three or four. But I think the podcast has helped me get a lot of reels that get information out to people who know me and don't know me. And the people that don't know me think they know me before they meet me and usually quote something I've said that half the time I don't remember saying. So that's been very helpful. 
The, the second thing it's done is by writing in Fox News and U.S. News and World Report and having a, dent, a column every month in Dental Economics and having a best-selling book and uh, having a, pod, a, a blog on Forbes, it's allowed me to associate myself with great brands. In fact, I think For, Forbes had uh, 33,000 people uh, nominated for the, their top 100 financial advisors in America, and I was number three in the country this year. So, you know, having Forbes or Amazon or, you know, these other, you know, having all of this third-party endorsement stuff allows smart people to say, hey, the guy might, the guy's legit. And then if you say something pithy or smart once in a blue moon, they're very comfortable not only referring you, but doing business with you. So it's been more about, it's, it's been the, the difference that I've seen is, you know, like one of the things that we've taken some shots, like as an example, and I'm not afraid to say this, we paid some money with this book to be in the airport. And I figured at the very, it wasn't a lot of money. It was like $10,000 to be in the Hudson News books for a month. And so I was trying to have a campaign where all my friends, when they were traveling over Christmas, to go into the bookstore and take a picture with it, and we could get it out virally. But I've, I've developed some incredible referral sources who did not know me and randomly bought the book in the airport, and it's exploded our business. And that $10,000 that I spent probably came back to me about 40-fold so far and still going. Um, That's great. So are you still continuing to pay the money? No, I for just Hudson, did it. For, or did you stop? I just did it for the. I did it for two months, I believe. We did. So I think we paid twenty grand to do that. But well, I think part if, of it. If you're getting that kind of return, why not keep doing it? Um, you know, part of it is is um, you know that is that the interesting thing that this social media and this work, the intellectual property is mine. But in terms of the people that I've associated with myself, Amber, who introduced us, or the folks. I'm just learning that area, and it, it and it's it, it's uh you know where I was really comfortable is sitting down with you know you know other professionals that had other entrepreneurial clients and trying to create that inter inter you know that that entrepreneurial synergy where that client could only get that synergy by working with our firms together. That's where I that's what that's what's comfortable for me. All of this has been an exploration, and you know we've made some mistakes, but we've made few. And some of the investments that I didn't think would take off have been amazing. And by the way, Nick, I still think that working with your firm is going to be be one of those things because as it doesn't matter how big you grow your business, you've got to be able to leverage and scale. So when I read your book, it was like I had like an aha moment, which is why I called you. Yeah, and you, your your team was a pleasure to work with, and you have some very very bright people. So um, looking forward to twenty twenty four together. But mm. you know, if if you found a 40 to one return in any marketing channel, why, why stop doing it, whether it's Hudson or anything? Well, the answer is, well, that's what we're working for is what's next, you know, meaning we've continued, you know, uh, you know, we've continued to look at other things. Um, you know, I, I don't think we, I don't know if we had the opportunity or not, you know, part of that was uh, the marketing people were around us. I don't think we had the option of, of uh, extending it more than three months. I think we tried two months and uh, it was, it was terrific. But you know, there, there was some other things that which I don't want to share because I don't want to I want to to uh, disparage anybody in the podcast. But but I tried a couple of things that did not work as well, and I just view that as a form of market research. You know, it just got me closer to the few things we did that were successful. So let's we're going to run out of time, and I want to make sure that we can try to isolate things we can give you. I mean, you sound very expansive. Do you have a full time person, or are you the uh, the progenitor of all these kinds of of uh, relationships and concepts. Uh, um, in terms of on the marketing side? Well, I mean, I, I, I would call this very nonlinear marketing. You're doing strategic alliances. You're doing 
you're doing, um, you're doing, I would call it more positioning marketing. What are you doing to generate? What do you do every day to generate a predictable flow of quality and uh, correct profile client prospects? I mean, I, I'd I'm, like I'm probably know. giving uh, giving an average of one speech a week to some entrepreneurial group all over the country. I'm writing constantly. I'm on my podcast. We're on social media. I am meeting with all of those who's in my life in terms of trying to trying to become who's for them and then becoming who's for me, many of them. And now we've got 4,000 entrepreneurial clients who I believe for the most part are, you know, wildly happy with the work we've done and they, and they've become our marketing department as well. And I think there's a, there's a book, I, I, there's a few books that have been written like, like it. So I'm going to, I, I probably, I don't want to give the wrong title or the wrong book. Cause I think, you know, all of us have read so many things and so many books, but you know, the, the book that spoke to me about our business was, not for a few weeks or for a few years, but if you spend literally decades pouring into other people and making a difference in the lives of all the people you touch, you wake up 35 years later and you have an army of people that want to help you and will will walk across coals for you to help you. And that's basically our business is that, uh, you know, that, that uh, you know, people know they can trust us. People know that we'll do whatever it takes and, and we're going to put their, you know, their needs ahead of our own. And so I've got an army of people that I feel so grateful and fortunate for that there are some very successful and very powerful people that uh, that, that 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 have been been lucky enough to sell, or they we've been lucky enough that they've selected us, and that's the business. Yeah. So what, oh. would, the, what, yeah, what would the profile of you got four thousand uh, clients heavily probably uh, weighted to entrepreneurship, although it sounds like you have uh, celebrities and athletes. What what would the spectrum of sizes of the businesses be? I would say that ninety percent of the clients have a net worth between five million and a hundred million, and then we've got you know probably uh, we've probably got more than fifty clients worth over a hundred million, and maybe four or five worth more than a billion, and then there's a handful that are smaller. Yeah, so you're doing all this. Uh, do, do you still manage your own your own uh, portfolio of clients, or is there other people? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, it's funny, Jay. Um, I, I still, that's the part I love the, the, you know, the part, if, you know, if you, you know, if, if there was a nuclear Holocaust tomorrow and I could I just go to a little Island and just sit and change the lives of the person I'm in front of, I find as much joy in that as anything I do. And so, so I still, I still do that. Although, you know, we, as, as, as uh, Nick will tell you, I, I, I try to surround myself with people that are even smarter than I am. And so, you know, that, uh, you know, we, you know, that, that, that I, you know, I, uh, a lot of, you know, it's a team sport. And, um, you know, we've grown pretty quickly from about seven of us, not that many years ago to about 40 of us. And we may be acquiring a couple of other firms as well. And, uh, you know, I just want, I just want the Marines. I just want people that have our core values and will do whatever it takes to change the lives of all the people we touch. I mean, we're, we're big, you know, we're big believers in EOS and, uh, you know, Gino Wickman and we run our company on EOS. So let's get, because you sound very intriguing and you sound like uh, you really understand the holistic implications of a relationship. And it sounds like you have a legion of advocate champions that are on a mission and a crusade to, you know, to give back to you in, in kind and probably, uh, you know, times you know, times a multiple. So that's good. So let's, because we're going to, it sounds interesting. You're a fascinating person. You're intense, but you're fascinating. <laughs> I like that. I, I mean, you relax? What, what's your hobby? Well, I, I, it's, um, you know, my, my happy place is Bloomington, Indiana. 
Uh, went to IU. I am a. Uh, I am an IU. Uh, I'm from Indianapolis. I am an I am an IU uh, basketball and football season ticket holder. And uh, you know, as Mike Woodson starts to build this uh, us back to a uh, you know, blue blood uh, status, I may just uh, buy a house in Bloomington and uh, spend a whole basketball season uh, going to every game because uh, I've got two That's kids there cool. and maybe a third cool. on the way next year. I've got five kids. Is, Mike. What happened? Got five kids. Is Bobby Knight still is Bobby Knight still. Uh, Alive? He's um he's I think on on death's doorstep. I think he's very ill with uh, Alzheimer's and other things. And you know I think you you should uh, expect uh, to hear some bad news uh, you know sooner rather than later. And you know, sad. Yeah. But it's a uh, you know so I, I enjoy that. I've got, you know unfortunately at, at uh, I've I've got five kids. My oldest son went to NYU and spent a couple of years at Oxford. So he is one of the forty people who work for us. And uh, he's he he's he's an advisor in our firm. And I've got oh, cool. uh, I've got two kids at Indiana. I've got one kid at SCAD in uh, uh, South Carolina, the uh, Savannah School of Arts and Design. And I've got a senior at the Hun in Princeton, New Jersey, in high school. So uh, when you work as hard as I do and run the number of companies we do and take care of five kids, you know our private, you know Lisa and I, our private time is our shower. So uh, you know we, uh, you know, you know I. I, but but it's 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 yeah, a great joy. I, I have seven. I have, yeah, I have seven children, not all from the same wife, but we had four kids concurrently in in college, and and the best part was the was the worst. They two of them went to state schools. Unfortunately, not in our state. <laughs> we had about a quarter or or or, or three hundred thousand dollars a year in in education at the same time for about about two and a half of those three years. So I get it. I mean, four years. I, I just think we're we're just going to colleges and doing. You know, we have a house in Palm Beach, and um, you know, so we want. You know, our plan was to spend the winters in Palm Beach, so we didn't. We ignored the New York and New Jersey winters, but I think we have at least one more year of uh, of uh, being being uh, being in the snow. And when Nick goes to college next year, and we have nobody at home day to day. I think we may try to uh, make home base uh, Palm Beach for the winter. I like that. So let me ask a curious question. If you're going to buy firms, what is a firm? What kind of multiple and how do they price acquisitions? And I know there's different, there's going to be all kinds of different models and they're going to be different, uh, you know, product service, uh, you know, offerings that these different firms, how do you, how do you price an acquisition? Everything we do has to be is, is, is strategic. Meaning, I mean, what we're doing with most of the folks we're doing business with is we're either helping them get into a vertical that they want to get into, or it's it's not very it's not it's not really rocket science. It's taking two streams of revenue and and putting it across one stream of fixed overhead. Uh, you know it you know doesn't you know doesn't doesn't take you know I mean I I've just said for thirty years uh, Jay that you know I one of the things that used to bug me about all these financial people is you know I've always said something I've I've said this for 30 years money markets CDs IRAs 401k's stocks bonds mutual funds blah 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 most of our clients have some or all those assets most of our clients will have some or all those assets all their life but at best they're inflation adjusted holding tanks you know if bill gates was on the call he wouldn't say I'm worth 110 billion dollars because of my 401k you know true wealth is created in one of three areas it's investing in your business or some other operating company it's investing in real estate it's financing deals. I'll leave out divorce and inheritance. Those are the ways it occurs. And so, so you know, that's why I've kind of settled with entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs understand it. It's not going to be the their mutual funds or the stock market or their four hundred one k that's going to that's going to make them uh, create multi generational wealth for them. 
Yeah, that's good. Uh, John Bowen, who we were talking about, was sharing uh, some research. And as you go up the net worth uh, a continuum, it gets more and more weighted to entrepreneurs till you get to the very top. So with your entrepreneurs, let's, uh, and by the way, let me give you just a, a throwaway. Uh, one of the things that I'm a great believer in is to get access to uh, access vehicles that have a preemptive position. You're talking about your investment in fortune management or whatever your your deal is, but you could get access to about any kind of vertical by just acquiring any kind of a training organization that is got good methodology and limited resources, and they're all over the place. So we we teach in this book, and I'll, I'll buy you a copy of the book. It's sort of cool, about 447 pages, but the middle of it is mostly my stuff. The front and the back is mostly uh, Roland Frazier's. But we talk about not just how many multitude of ways to grow EBITDA, but 10x EBITDA uh, for no investment or risk vis-a-vis 10xing uh, top line, which has got enormous investment and risk. But we also talk about how to acquire access vehicles, podcasts of other people that reach markets, uh, blogs, discussion groups, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of URLs, all kinds of other media. And if you think in terms of that kind of an enlightened approach, a modest amount of investment will get you a yield. You talk about your ROI that is so outsized to any kind of typical marketing you would do. But one of the things that I'll just throw a couple of thoughts to you because we may run out of time. I've gotten clients to explode their business by doing, it sounds like what you do, but I'm going to do it on steroids for you. By helping every business in their community or every business in their portfolio, and there's two different paths you can take, blow up their performance, teach them. Because most people who are entrepreneurs, even if they uh, if they acknowledge expertise as a correlation to higher performance, don't know how to pursue all the non uh, I'll, I'll call it the the cat the investment less ways to blow up performance. I mean, I I live in the world of optimization, Mark. Highest and best use. You can look at a revenue system that one of your clients has, or you have, and the statistical probability is that ninety percent of it isn't even optimized. Meaning, there's a hell of a lot more you can get out of every element of it, but the the, the geometric combination of improving 10 or 15 performance at, uh, elements are pretty cool. But if you become the recommended provider of 100 different verticals, uh, it's all over. Or if you own them as a Trojan horse, it's all over. Or if you go into markets, and I've done this for a lot of people, like and then smaller level chiropractors, real estate uh, people, uh, physicians, we go into a market, we go to all the entrepreneurs in our target market, and we start uh, telling them that we want to be their greatest advocate, their greatest champion, their greatest benefactor, and as such, we want to help them take the, the the lifetime investment they've made, the hopes, dreams, and the and the end game they're looking for, including fulfillment. And we want to make it uh, uh, at least what they want, and hopefully more. And we're going to start sharing with them ideas and methodology because if you remember. Uh, Mark, those days when we had a real bookstore, if you'd walk into a bookstore, there'd be huge walls, uh, psychology, relationships, sexuality, spirituality, uh, hobbies. And then you go in the back and there's this tiny little area that's business. 
and why that is wonderful is that if you look at a hundred business owners, I mean, and I've, I've, I've helped the most sophisticated, I've helped the most mundane, and I've done it on five continents. They really don't understand a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what they can do with the assets, the access, the investment, the intellectual, financial, relational capital that they have. And if you can help them, not just your existing 4,000, but anybody else out there on a regular basis, even mundane things, it's like the one-eyed man in the land of the blind. I mean, we were talking on this interview. People don't realize you can change the way you you say something. We, we, as an example, we tested one time a very large furniture store. We changed the way people greeted people at the front door. We tried 33 ways, and one of them tripled conversion three times, and it also enhanced wow. the average order and the average reorder it's very like robert cialdini persuasion yeah. influence that's very cool no no but i'm telling you this for you but for all your clients or any other I mean, there's a multitude of portfolio I mean, uh you know guys like uh roger love can teach you what's called strategic communication how you are heard you will learn and i'm probably a little tired today apologies but tonality inflection pause listening acknowledging you heard He's done research that you can triple impact. Uh, Sally Hogshead, who you probably know, uh, uh, Nick, has done research on enhancing yield just by how fascinating you are and taught you how to do it. Rob, uh, uh, Stephen M. R. Covey's son, and I know all these people, I've helped them all. Stephen M. R. Covey, son of Stephen Covey, has done research in trust building. Everybody Mark thinks they're trustworthy, but he's got 13 gradients. And he, he, you can see that most people are a fraction of, uh, of at, the, at the top of the 10 points or whatever the, mm-hmm. the formula is. But he's seen that if you command total absolute, what he would call, uh, he's got a, a different preface for it, but I'll call it maximum trust. It's a 300% enhancement. But I mean, there's, I'm just giving you a few of a, you know, a myriad of things. But if you could teach First of all, your existing 4,000 are heavily, heavily weighted in entrepreneurship. How to avail, I mean, as I say, I can show anybody, and I'm not, this is not a, uh, a, an ad for me. It's transferring a, an insight to you. If, if I could show anybody how to, how to double, redouble, even redouble again their, their EBITDA long-term over a year and a half, two years without any, and there's billions of dollars of precedent that it's true, without any additional or very little additional investment or risk, if you teach those methodologies to your existing clients and you go out and teach them to everyone else, you basically are going to be the only person doing it at that level. I I have a a former client, and this is laughable, but I'm just trying to reinforce this for you, and it's hilarious. So I used to go in before the for COVID, before the relationship with China got strained, I used to go all over Asia, China, Japan, Vietnam, Malaysia, uh, just everywhere. And, and I, had, I used to do massively uh, large and very repetitive. T- we'd go all the time to Shang- you know, Shanghai and Beijing and Shenzhen and Guangzhou. And I had one guy that kept coming repetitively all my expensive programs, and he ran a candy company. I'm making a very simple point for you, Mark. He ran a candy company that was number eight or nine in the market, and he was coming to try to enhance his ability to market his company. 
But after about the fifth out of many different programs, he shifted tremendously his paradigm. Is there a word paradigmical or whatever paradigmical <laughs> would be perspective? And he thought, I'm going to do something totally different. There were 60,000 mom and pop approximately candy shops in China, and they're just working their hearts out and their family. But no one's ever taught them how to get more clients. No one's ever taught them how to get people ethically to buy more each time. No one's ever taught them how to get them to come back and buy more often. No one's ever taught them how to reactivate inactive clients. No one's ever taught them how to get more utility value. No one's ever taught them how to, you know, how to do all these things, get them to bring other people. He started doing that. He didn't even try to market his company. He just went to people and said, look, all things being equal, everyone in our business, ourselves included, are just drawing. We're, we're basically parasitic say it this way, but we're parasitically drawing off of all your hard effort, your work, your investment. I, we don't think that's right anymore. We want to be the ones, the only candy company that is contributing back, that is investing in you. We want to help you grow your business, your satisfaction, predictability, future revenue. And we don't care if we get one iota more percentage because if we double your business, we'll double ours. And maybe if you see we're the only ones really caring about about contributing instead of taking, you might give us more. Bottom line, they did that for a year and a half and they went from number nine to number one and Hershey's bought whatever the allowable was, 49%. This eight years ago for a half a billion dollars. So I think there's a really cool idea. As far as referral generation, most businesses get a huge portion of their, in your kind of field, get a huge portion of their their revenue from referrals or word of mouth. But, and this is almost shocking, when I used to do seminars, I'd have people stand up in the audience if they have at least one formalized, systematized, uh, ongoing, adhered to by everybody, referral generating process or strategy. And uh, most people wouldn't. Maybe maybe X number would stand out. Then I'd say, do you have two? And 95% would sit down and making a point. You have three, 100% sits down. And I'd say, well, if you're spending money on anything else, which is the outer periphery of trust, even a lead you get, you got to work your ass off to get from outer periphery to sort of commitment. And even the first transaction, it's not full trust. It's sort of like that. Whereas if you concentrated on uh, on referral generation, obviously a referral generated prospect buys quicker, buys more, trusts immediately, negotiates less, uh, buys more often, more things, longer, is more enjoyable to deal with, refers more people and oh, costs nothing. We have 125 ways to do it. And I'm not saying that to impress because you couldn't do even 25. No one can. But if you have none or you have one or two and you add two or three more, it could double, redouble, redouble again, referral generation, which is the most lucrative the most rapid, the, and it gives predictability. So I'm just giving you a few throwaway things. I mean, this, we're going to run out of time, but you might want to think about it. I have a question for you because I, I have an unlimited, I have, a, I have no appetite for expenses. I have an unlimited appetite for investments. And so, so the idea to me is I, uh, you know, obviously I've f- followed your career some. Nick and I have gotten to know each other a little bit over the last couple of years and under, I read his book and understand more and more about his organization. How do you and Nick work together? And tell me a little bit about how how uh, how people uh, how how people intersect with your in the different ways they intersect with your company. With uh, total respect, I love what Nick does. Right now, we are very separate. We're just doing this because it's a giggle, and we have sort of like a peanut butter cup. He's got operational optimization. I can teach anybody in any business how to optimize. I can do programs for people like you to all your audience. 
and and you might be a great alignment because I've tried very hard. I mean, Anthony Scaramucci and I were working on a book together. I was trying to do something for a while with Alpine Investment uh, Investors, which is the highest yielding or highest producing about $11 billion RPE firm. One of my friends is the former senior strategic advisor to Texas Pacific, and I've had a bear trying to get involved with PE and those, they just have a very sort of a, a, an arrogant attitude. But the way I work is I get a one-time retainer and then I get, I'll, I'll tell you the normality. And if you really wanted to pursue it, I'll tell you the, the spit on it. I get a one-time retainer and it's usual, it's, it's value-based, but it's going to be a couple hundred grand to three. And that's against profit shares that I get exclusively and only from enhancement that I can create above and beyond what other people are doing that uh, after all all expenses, direct expenses, commissions, et cetera, and a, and a negotiated G&A factor is there. And what I concentrate on because I'm very pragmatic, the first thing you do is is I've got something called revenue system optimization. Everybody has a revenue system, Mark. You may not know what it is, but you start identifying all the macro things that everybody looks at and then all the nuclear things in between. And you start saying, how can we make each one of those better? Whether it's how you reach the market, how they reach you, what you do at that point, how you convert it, how you address it, how you go about kinds of things like that. Then I look at variability. Uh, I'll tell you this, and it's sort of interesting, uh, I was I was very blessed early in my career. I mean, I've done 300 or so experts that are A-level. And uh, why that's important is none of them came to me for help with their methodology. They all came for help commanding more respect, more concreteness, more more relevance of how it, it perform, performance enhanced. But I had to learn a distillation. So many years ago, uh, may I ask how old you are? 61. Okay, well, I'm going to be 70. Five. So I've been around. You look good. Uh, I have to because I got all the young Turks that want to be me. But I've done so many things on. I've done a thousand industries on a worldwide basis and have this massive draw, draw of understanding of everything from a you know, hundred different ways to do strategy, business model, distribution, partnering. But nevertheless, and I just lost. I'm ADD, and so I got to remember what I was taking because it was quite <laughs> profound. Where was where was I taking it, Nick? How you look so good? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I look so good because I spent 10 grand a month getting all kinds of shots from restorative doctors. So that's one way. Oh, back what I do. Yeah. So the first thing you do, I mean, it's there's two things you do. If you think about optimization and innovation, Mark, they're polar opposites. Optimization is taking everything you do, everyone you do it with, every way you do it. Oh, I'm going to get back. I remember what it was. And, and making it more. Innovation is making everything you do obsolete. So the first thing you do is you go through everything you're doing because- it's driving your business. You don't want to abandon it. You start by saying, okay, let's make all those things perform a lot more so it throws off capital if you need to experiment. Then you start basically looking at replacing, enhancing. Well, you already have first enhanced. But uh, so what I do is I try to do that first. Then we look at are there new ways that you can access the market? Are there new vehicles? Then we say, okay, how many ways can we set up strategic alliances, joint ventures, all of that? And, but I was going to go back to Deming. So I helped Deming. I didn't say Deming. Deming was one of the first people I helped. Their organization, Deming is the one, if you don't know it, he went to Japan back in the 60s or 70s when Japan's, uh, and they were shit people. I mean, their their stuff was crap. 
And then all of a sudden, because he, he turned them into Toyotas and the way he did it, which is really relevant for you with your 12 people and anyone else you, you attack, you attract. If, if he had a hundred people doing this in his, in a plant, they're not just doing this mark. There's 10 different sub processes. You got throughput, you got downtime. That's problem-based. You got downtime. That's, that's preventative maintenance. You got, uh, you got variability that's allowable. You got scrap, and he'd find the 80-20, the 20% that had better performance on throughput, the 20% that had better performance on each of those, and he figured out what they all do differently, mindset, strategy, and then he'd consolidate and teach it to the ones that didn't in each category, and he was the one that figured out 10% improvement here, 10% improvement here. It's not 10%. It's a multiple. If you think about it, 10 plus 10 plus 10 is 30. 10 times 10 times 10 is 1,000. So I learned that and I applied it to selling as well. I've got something called uh, PEQ. Sorry, Nick, but he asked. I'll, I'll finish real quick. PEQ is called Performance Enhancement Quotient. You look at all your salespeople and you look and then you isolate who's the best at what? Opening accounts, different kinds of accounts, different kinds of products. What do they do different? How do they do it? You know, and if they're doing it simply with their own clientele, how much better are they than somebody else? What do they do if it's only a little better? You teach everybody. If they're five times better, you make them a specialist, no matter what the deal is. I, I, I used to do, uh, years ago, I did a, a radio station group. They had 400 stations. And we first of all looked at all the salespeople and said, who's better at selling the package? Who's better at selling against uh, lesser rated, who's better at selling car dealers, who's better at selling this, how much better. And if a car dealer guy was four times better, but he had one car dealer, we'd make him the guy that go around and open car dealers. Who's better at opening accounts, who's better at closing accounts. And you do pragmatism. I one time had a car dealer. In fact, you're in New Jersey, you're not in New York. Uh, the number one Honda Acura dealer in the world, it's called, uh, I'm going to forget the name, damn it, hold on. Oh, Bear, uh, uh, <laughs> Oh crap! What what is his name is Brian Benstock. They used my methodology in two ways. One is they uh, they realized they never looked at the performance of their F and I manager. You know what that is in a car deal, yes. right? That's a huge profit contribution. But looking at it after they learned my stuff, they said, "Oh shit! That the guy that's there during the days is, is averaging eighteen hundred contribution of profit, but he's got sixty five percent of." Of the the buyers, the guy at the nights averaging twenty four hundred, and he's got only thirty five. Let's change their schedule, and they added about literally uh, three hundred thousand dollars of of net profit just by doing that. I got lots of stuff like that for you. If we were to do something, not that that was my goal, I've tried, and it's the most hilarious thing in the world. I've offered people that I I got a body of work to die for. We sold a quarter billion dollars of seminars when I was younger, like Nick, and I just burnt out. But I got stuff I can make available gratis to people as long as I get pegged on on, on some kind of growth. I can do training for people. It's I got this idea, you know, I'm a bored guy that has 60 clients that I help around the world right now. I'm a, I'm a partner in, in five different masterminds. But you might be really interesting because I, I'm right now, I'll tell you, I, I, I have aligned my guy my guy who's got the dental, I've got people like that that I've influenced all over the, the world and all over the country. So there might be something interesting. I mean, you sound, I'll tell you what, you sound very, very, very impressive in your nonlinear thinking. 
uh, you sound like you you are probably collaborative, but I uh, I, I you have to be open minded, and, and I think you're probably a a monster of execution. I make most of my money on performance, so I need people that perform, and I also need people that are preeminent and are really trying to be the, the most trusted advisor for life. But when you're a trusted advisor, you have a very interesting a duality. One is you got to see your work deployed and what it's meaning to their life and everyone that flows, their employees, their or, or their their kids, their quality of life. But you also literally have to not allow them to do less than they should in less, in less ways, not because you're going to make more money, but because they're going to be denied outcome. And I've got, I can teach that to your team members, your, I mean, I do this all over the world. I don't anymore. You know, I just do it uh, very, very infrequently, uh, pre- but that's sort of how I work. I get paid. Uh, uh, we, we quantify, if I can make something you do better, I get a negotiated a percentage for a period of time. If I can add things you haven't done, I get a percentage from zero. If I can find new product services, you can do. Uh, if I can find Trojan horses and strategic positionings, we work out. It's a deal by deal, but uh, I'm interested in deals that are worth you know, half a million to a million dollars a year and that are fun as can be and where I can redeploy my own assets and my own knowledge base and impact people and uh, do something worthwhile. Ta-da. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to open up that dialogue. I'm looking for clients, but you could be a vehicle, Nick, for me repurposing a lot of stuff that, you know, I, I've tried to, I've tried to do deals with a, a billion dollar company and in Europe where I was going to make all my body of work and I was going to do, I was going to do, training that I'd normally charge 25 grand gratis for all their accounts or prospects. And, and they were going to go public. I tried to do it with Russell Brunson and he didn't want to do it. So maybe we can do it. That'd be cool. All right. Sorry about that. Mick, you talk. No, I don't, no, no, no. I, it's, it's, it's all good. Um, yeah, Mark, we, we just do this podcast together and then we're, we're just very close and yeah, uh, I'll support Jay. Jay has a program even next week. And I admired, I admired and vice versa. Body of work and his mind. Yeah, his, no, his, I, I uh, his, that book. His book was terrific. It was a, it's a, it's a great uh, book, a fabulous book, one of the best books I've read in well, a long, Jay, long time. Well, thank you. And the both of you have fantastic books too. Um, but yeah, Mark, that we should have a conversation because I'm sure between both Jay and I, there's probably something what, that could be a, an enhancer to your client base. Let me know the scope of your real, I mean, I mean, I understand what you do, but I'd love to know that you know, a little bit more about the dollars you command and everything else and what, where the sweet spots are and where, you know, and if, if you have the infrastructure that could really grow massively, you know, obviously Tony, I was telling um, uh, this, this gentleman that I, I was telling you about who commands a lot of access to dentists. I said, Tony went from being prosperous when he was just doing his regular training, he realized that by adding, and his former partner was my partner before that in the business, by adding business, entrepreneurs regenerate money a lot, uh, at a lot higher and, and more exponential level. So he got into that. Then he got into his, you know, his mastermind groups. And then he started getting access to deal flow. And he ended up with over 150 companies that have given him equity and and cash flow just for being Tony, but he really nailed it when he got into when he taught people there that they were financially uh, somewhat illiterate, and that here's what I think you should learn. And it resonated. And he had this database, and he ended up literally 
getting, I think that's where he went from prosperity to wealth, from flying commercial to having his his G550. And and there's a lot of things out there that if you're open-minded, I could probably engineer for you because I understand that stuff very, very well. I've been doing Tony for 35 years, David, John, all these people. But, you know, I, I don't do heavy lifting though. I, I'm very good in in breakthrough strategies and nonlinear thinking and access vehicles, but I don't do heavy lifting. The challenge is always time and attention. That's the, that's the, uh, yeah, that, that's, but, it, and, and, but I'm, as I said, I, it's an exciting conversation I'd like to pursue. Uh, just bring it back to your business for a minute. Cause I, I have a, I have a four questions for you because I want to, I want to make sure that you leave this conversation with some breakthrough idea or something, Yeah. but I have a few questions, you know, uh, as a precursor to that. So the first is 4,000 clients and you said 12 advisors, is that yes. right? 12 advisors and probably uh, another four or five, what I'll call trust officers that have client, some client responsibility, but are not primarily outward thinking, they're inward thinking. So 12 advisors to 4,000, and then you have all the back office support of the, for, the, the support of the other full-time. The ratio of around 34 clients to one advisor seems, feels high. Oh no, sorry. What is it? Three, uh, 340 um, to one, right? That seems like incredibly high of a ratio. What's the industry standard, and how, well, I, I, I would you, say that, how have you um, been able to get that ratio? I, I would say that uh, sometimes when you get family, when you when you probably get uh, families, you know, thrown down, the number probably comes down to somewhat short of three thousand. If you you know if you add if if you kind of streamline it in terms of uh, like oh, familial relationships or partnerships you know might be okay so like if a, if a husband and a wife come in that that's kind of, all right but still, business, even but if it, you so get it's, it's still to, pretty high and i think but part of it i think is yeah is that it, it depends on the product or service that is there uh that that's there and i i think that it's not like we have a cookie cutter approach and and part of it is you just you, you know part of it is i think you know one of the reasons i was so interested in your book is the challenge always comes when you built a business like this the challenge isn't growing it. You can grow the top line almost indefinitely. The cha- the challenge is does it does you know it's not that it's not that exciting to me to to grow your business thirty percent even a a, a a business that's uh that's let's call it maturing like ours if you grow if you have to grow the expenses by thirty percent ultimately it's about scaling and leverage oh. or or even if you don't even if you don't but you have to work a hundred hours a week and stressful and then some weeks are positive and then some weeks you're losing i mean how you make the 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 path to getting to that 30 percent, even if the expenses are constant and not increasing also matters you know the challenge is you know i think the answer that you have for years is to just throw bodies at things and um you know that does not work forever and i think you know i think part of the challenge if you're saying you know what's a breakthrough is to try to figure out you know one of the things i'm looking at right now is looking to prune some expenses, not because we want to save money, but we because we want to prune some expenses so that we can make better investments uh, with with the money that we're investing in the business. And you know, I I don't believe in I don't believe you're growing a business. I believe you're growing people. So it's you know, how do I pour into those people to allow them to become more efficient, not just hire more bodies, but to be able to take you know take the the and and we're doing a, a lot of that with technology. We're doing a lot of that with education of our people. And the idea is, you know, I don't think that you know, have we made some some uh, progress. We've certainly have made lots of progress, but I don't think anybody who thinks they figured it out. I think, uh, you know, I think hubris is the ruination of all who have it. 
So I'm in, uh, you know, I'm, I'm constantly learning and uh, constantly uh, looking for improvement. Oh, you're, you're basically doing my sales pitch. You know, the, most people, <laughs> most people try to increase capacity by throwing bodies at the problem. And it's what I always say. It's the most expensive uh, way to try to solve the capacity problem. You have to pay for recruiting, onboarding, training, pay a salary, and every body you have in the organization adds exponential complexity. It's Metcalf's uh, law follows a network effect. It's, um, I mean, your, your promise about giving one full day back, if you took a typical five day work week and you can give a one and you're, you're sort of kind of, to me, that's the Holy grail. If you can have every one of your employees get one full day back, which is, which is what your book talks about. That to me is the Holy grail. And then on top of it, if you can use technology and then you can increase the capability of what they can do at the same time, that trifecta is a way to, to massively improve profitability. At least that's how I see it, at least. A hundred percent. And it's, you know, hiring should be a last resort, not a first resort to, to solve the capacity problem. But how, even if you get to 3,000 because of the, you know, the, the husband, wife or the familial stuff, right? Or, you know, even- Partners, that kind of stuff. 2,400, let's make around numbers. Even if it's 2,400 and you have 12 advisors, that's 200 clients per advisor are these all active clients i'm still like uh, I, I think people, worked with people have different services or different things in the past well, and none of them have been able to get that ratio well part of our mantra is if you have 12 advisors and let's say you have another four or five people that are i'll call them trust officers meaning they're they're really in client advisement but not outside sales so to speak you know they're there to service people i think the i think the issue is what we've tried to do is the other 25 people 20 some odd people they allow those people to do nothing else. So at this point, at least the way we've put the Band-Aid on it for the last, let's call it decade, has been, you know, if, if, if you have a typical person that works for us that probably works 50, 55 hours a week, something like that, let's say it's a 50-hour week. Let's say they're working Monday through Friday, 10 or 12 hours a day. Yeah. You know, I, I would say that, yeah. you know, if you do not have to do, if you've got a planning department, if you've got a deep investment department, if you've got an underwriting department, a marketing department, you know, you've got people that do everything other than allow them to spend a hundred percent of their time advising clients. Um, you can get some leverage that way, but I think it comes to a point where it's like trying to suck all the water out of the faucet. You know, at some point, at some point, you drowned. You know. Well, but I, I guess I'm just trying because, uh, like I was saying before, we have a lot of financial advisors we've come across in the past. I know John Bowen quite well, and that ratio is crazy high. I'm just trying to understand what. And obviously, operational efficiency that can help you get to places, how you onboard and train, those can all move the needle to a certain extent. But I feel like you've probably, I'm trying to understand, what else have you cracked? Because I'm guessing that you've cracked something else even beyond just using some of the technologies I talk about in my book and some of these other things. For example, um, is there some type of knowledge share where you have like a, a weekly meeting with all of them and you share kind of some new things on the market or something that's happening amongst clients. And then there's like a optimization around how knowledge is shared. So now, you know, 12 people actually have the knowledge of like a hundred people instantly. Well, I, I, I would say that, that, uh, you know, if, if, if you, if you can comfortably and still have time to do other things, if you can, if you can, if you can take, if you can see, 40 people a week have 40 real meetings. I'm not talking about a, a five minute call or a question or something like that. If an advisor can do that and they work 46 weeks a year, 
those could be real interactions, but we put out, we write things on a, on a regular basis. And I think the idea is the other interesting thing I think you'll find, Nick, is that it's interesting that I always call it when I, like if I was going to onboard you as a client, the very last thing that we talk about is I call it the Goldilocks approach. I don't want the parts to be too hot or too cold. It's just right. And that's different for everybody. So we have some of our largest clients that in some ways I, I fight to see them once a year and other clients I see speak to every week. So it's somewhere between every week and once a year. And I think ultimately the, the idea is that, that uh, um, it depends on what's going on for them. I think, I think part of it is, you know, you know, you know, part, part of that is it, it's it and they set the thing like we you know it's what computers are great for if you want to get together quarterly we're going to get together quarterly if you want to get together once a year it's once a year and many of our most powerful biggest clients when they want me they want me and i might speak to them 10 times a day for two weeks in a row where we're putting through some issue or some acquisition and then and and by the way because remember most of those things revolve around a personal relationship meaning meaning ultimately um you know I think creating high trust relationships. I think everybody in the business say they have high trust relationships. I think when you're dealing with some of some of the issues that we're dealing with with people that are so jugular, uh, you know, I know they're getting divorced before they do. Um, and I think I think it's um, I, I think so. I think that part of those issues when you have those types of trust relationships, it doesn't there doesn't there doesn't have to be a lot of fluff in a lot of those best relationships. You know that they're going to get a divorce before they do because like all of a sudden you're seeing accounts getting set up overseas and you're like, huh. That's a leading no, indicator. Because you can see how um, they speak to each other. <laughs> or you can see how, you know, I mean, I think part of it is the intuitiveness or seeing things before. And I think I think the other thing, I think like the other thing, part of it, like you, you, you take a look as one of the things where I think experience is good. Experience is bad to me in the sense that sometimes if you have already seeing eyes or already listening ears, you sometimes make assumptions when, when those assumptions are bad, you know, because you, 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 just, you just assume it's going to always be the same. But I think part of it is where the intuitiveness works is when you have really tight, tight relationships, it's never what people say, it's what they do. You know, like as an example, I, I, you know, I, I'll give you an example, like with employees, we'll use employees, which are, which are different. I remember a key peer person in our organization a few years ago who is, you know, is, is a critical part of our organization right now. Uh, I used to call him the, uh, I used to refer to him as the leader of the opposition, you know, we're the leader of the resistance and, and, and everybody else said, he's leaving, he's leaving, he's leaving. And I'm saying, no, no, he's not leaving. And the reason I knew he wasn't leaving is, was because he was still disagreeing with me, <laughs> you know? So I didn't need all of, I, I knew that information. So you knew those things intuitively where I had other people. I, I've, I remember this other person, in our organization last year, I told my, uh, my folks interview for that position today. And they go, no, I talked to him. He's staying. Everything's great. It's great. Greg. Oh, I'm not asking. I'm telling you to interview for that position today. He's leaving. And they go, well, and I go, no, no, he's staying. I spoke to him. It's all good. He's, I go, I, I'm not asking. I'm telling you to interview for that position today. And about a week and a half later, he left. And they always go, well, how do you know who's staying or who's going? Because I knew he was going for the following reasons. He turned down an opportunity for advancement. He stopped going out to lunch with the guys in the office. He would go out, went out to lunch by himself, was showing up five or 10 minutes late. And he didn't play in the March Madness pool. I knew he was leaving <laughs> where the other guy who, yeah. who, he and I were at each other's throats. I knew he was staying because he was still disagreeing with me. And so ultimately I think that part of that experience or intuitiveness is to be able to, you know, that's where, you know, that's where I think that, you know, part of that is it's the stuff that's not in the job description of what's your performance for the last quarter 
Or did you buy the right insurance policy? Or did you maximize, minimize the taxes that I paid? Or did you put together that thoughtful plan? It's that's where, that's where I think all the money is made and all the money is made by asking people the right questions. And I think if you tell, you know, people like always say, well, how did you know that about that person? And I go, I'm not Kreskin. I'm not a mind reader. If you ask people, they'll tell you, and then you can solve their problem. And I think you can cut, you can, you can be a lot more efficient when you have those relationships because you can cut through the dance and cut through all the bullshit. I totally agree. All right. I have three questions for you, Mark. What keeps you up at night? Meaning like what problem, where do you feel like, man, how come we just can't solve this problem? Uh, Why hasn't this worked? So that's question one. Question two, what would it take for you to double your business in terms of marketing and strategic um, initiatives? And then three, what would you have to change in terms of how you operate to be able to fulfill on the on the doubling of the clients? Let me start with the last question first. I think ultimately in our business, um, you know, I've spent the last probably decade, decade and a half telling great uh, artists and showing great artists how to become the great CEO or taking people that were business owners who thought they were entrepreneurs, but they bought themselves a job and turning them into CEOs. And that's been our mantra of, of, of showing people how to how to do that um, because they, they, you know, they'd raise their hand in an audience saying they were an entrepreneur. And in about three seconds, you realized they bought themselves a good paying job. And so I think that the first question is I've now come to the evolution that entrepreneurs are not CEOs. They need to hire CEOs. So I think the first thing we need to do is I need to hire a CEO long-term to operate that business. If you wanted to get to 8,000 clients, the only thing you need to do is hire a CEO and you'd be able to support 8,000 clients. I, I think here, well, here's, and I think it goes back to what I've said is I think we can go from 4,000 if we chose to, to 8,000 clients uh, almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, we're, you know, I don't want to announce and the when it's coming up, but we may be uh, merging in uh, for, with a firm that has 10,000 clients. <laughs> um, you know, we're in the acquisition mode. We're doing, a, a, we have a couple of acquisitions on place, so we may scale a lot, lot bigger rather quickly and through economies and efficiencies of scale, I think the big issue is to make sure that we're doing it where we can, we can, where the following things, I can stay in creation and fascination mode. We can keep our profitability and our, our margins the same, but hopefully higher and not lower. And, and I can enjoy what I want to do. I, at this point, if it's not fun, I don't want to do it. And so I think that the, I think that that place is, is going to, is, I think it's there, but I think that one of the reasons to, to that I, I read your books. I'm going to read Jay's books. Uh, the reason we spend time together with, 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 with people that are smarter than I am and people that, uh, you know, have, uh, have great uh, creativity and integrity is because that's, that's how you learn from the very best. I, I, you know, I mean, I, 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 that's why I'm, I'm a voracious reader and that's why I like to spend time with smart people like you and Jay. Um, the other thing that, and I hate to say this, whereas I think, cause you, I don't. I'd like Jay to ask the question because we're some more similar in age to to the age that you are. But if I if I could go back and tell my thirty year old self or thirty five year old self, and you said I said to me, what were the two, what were the what were the two things that I regret in life, or I would have done differently, is is that I have I, I mentioned I have five kids, but I said I wish I have two of my own and Slee says three, so we blended five together. And I've said the first thing I would have said I wish. We, I would have found the right woman earlier, and I wish I would have had four or five kids. And now I've got five kids. So thanks to Lisa, I've got three kids. They're just as much mine as my kids are. This, you know, we uh, if you if you look at the uh, the uh, invocation of my book, uh, I, uh, I I I put our story to the Brady Bunch theme theme song. So if you if you use the Brady Bunch theme, you can you can put our uh, our uh, 
our family story together. That's the very first page of, of my book, of my latest book. So I think that's it. The second thing, I worried a lot. I spent a lot of critical capital in my 20s, my 30s, and my 40s worrying. I worried about money. I worried about regulatory issues. I worried about everything under the sun. And it, and it took not a disproportionate amount of my time, but it took a lot of energy that I could have used to be in creation and fascination mode. And so what I would have said to myself is, none of, none of this stuff was real. It was all BS. And if I would have just freed my mind at that time, so you say, what keeps me up at night? I feel pretty good about it. Like I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I, you know, where if you would have asked me 15 years ago, I would have been, you know, I, you know, I, I would have had to lay down on a couch and you know, we would have had to have, you know, you know, we had, you know, we had three sessions a week for, uh, you know, for years to go through all the things that used to bother me. And I think I've kind of just let that go, but that, but, 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 but I, but I, but, and, but I think that, you know, the, the other thing too, is that you, it, the more success you have, rather than the more hubris you have, I think the more gratitude you have and the more appreciative you are of what you've got and the more you realize what you don't know and you want to spend time around folks that can, that can, that can, that can, uh, that can create a better, a better life. And so, you know, my legacy, it's not going to be the amount of money I've made or, uh, or any of the other things, you know, people talk about their wives being their kids and I am super close to my kids, but I think, and, and I, and I, and I love that. I love my life and the life we've created. Cause I think I've created not just a business life or a personal life, but I've created a life where I'm going to leave here and do something as much as I love spending time with you. I'm going to do something I love even more. And after that, I'll do something more that, that, and my whole life is great. And then I'm going to go to Indiana and watch a basketball game. And then I'm going to do this and that and the other thing. And I, I just, I just, you know, I just am, am enjoying the whole process. And, and, and I, and, and, and I think my legacy will be is I w I'd love to change the lives directly and directly in a positive way of as many people as I could, whatever time I've got left on this planet, whether it's today or another 40 years, I'd love to be able to collaborate with great, great minds like yours and be able to make a difference in the lives of all the people we touch. And, and to me, that would be a fulfilling life as opposed to, you know, would I like to make a, a, another hundred million dollars or would I like to, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'd like to see that. And I'd like to see Indiana win a couple more national championships in basketball. That would be a, that would be a great, uh, that would be a great solution for me. A great, great, great life. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's how I feel. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great answer. I'm, is there, is there anything though, that, um, specifically you've been wondering from an operations or a strategy standpoint that you want to talk through before we have to end? Um, yeah, I, it's, it, it is. And again, I don't want to sound like a broken or a broken uh, record, but you know, part of it, you talked about doubling of the business. I, I believe there is no limit to the amount of business. I believe that, um, that uh, the marketing piece, which we're comfortable with, is attracting new clients, I don't think is an issue. I don't think attracting people that have our core values and as, you know, as, as uh, you know, our friend Gino says, get it, want to have capability is a problem. I think it's, I think the issue is I've got to take my scaling to another level so that we can, we can do it in a way that uh, is smooth and easy and, and the proper way. You know, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I've got to, I've got to figure that piece out. That's the part that I, if you said keeps you up at night or the part you think about, I, I think about, you know, exactly how to scale that ability, the ability to attract that business. Because I think if you can, if you can think non-linearly like you guys think, I think there's a lot of people that want to follow you. The question is, you know, as you said, with, with the number of clients you have there, how, how do you make sure that everybody gets that experience? Meaning I, one of our core values, Nick is, 
I want to wake, I want anybody that I speak to, I don't want them to have an experience. We want them to have a wow experience. So if you work at Northeast Private Client Group or any one of my other companies, if you don't, or if you're not totally jazzed about creating that wow experience for that client, you are going to be miserable here. And everybody else who works out there is going to hate your guts. And so, you know, attracting those people that go do that, but that still doesn't help us scale. It means we've got really good people who believe what we believe because, you know, you talk about being cult-like, there's nobody that doesn't work here for the long term that doesn't believe that if we do what we do well, we'll win every time. They actually believe that. It's almost, you know, I, we have we have 23 and 24-year-old kids that if, 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 if some massive client decided not to work with them, they'd actually feel sorry for the client, you know. Um, because they believe that they, they could make a difference in their lives. But the scaling piece, I think, is, I think is going to be the toughest piece because what I see in my industry and I see in other businesses is that they stop growing because they have to take care of the business they brought in and can't get to net new or can't get to, new, to innovation because they've either gotten lazy and stopped learning or they've just gotten to a point where their day is filled up with the legacy stuff which keeps them from really scaling and getting to the next place. I don't know. How do you feel? How do you guys feel about that? You guys are the experts. Well, yeah, that's, 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 that, that, that's, you know, everyone's issue. How are you going to solve that? Are you, are you guys using AI, for example? I would imagine that in the next 12, 24 months, as long as you have a CRM that has clean data in it, you could probably leverage AI in smart ways where it could, like imagine a world where it connects to your CRM, it knows the sentiment of all the messages that are being sent the last time you spoke to the person, their relationship to you, what they care about, what their investments are. And now the AI could almost directly reach out or at least recommend to a financial advisor, hey, you need to reach out to Nick because this is going on right now in the world. And, you know, he ought to, he cares about that because of everything we know about Nick. So I'm sure that there's some really clever things around, uh, really close to really near just around the corner on the horizon that AI might be that, you know, new who that would allow you to go to 40,000 clients, maybe without even having to hire any more financial advisors. By the way, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to change one of the answers that you asked me before. Remember Joe DiMaggio used to say, you know, why he tried his very hardest in every game he played. And he used to say, because there might be one person in the stands that never saw me play before. And if you say what keeps you up at night is when you bring on clients, the thing you don't want to say is that, hey, it doesn't matter that, you know, Jay Abraham and, and Nick Sonnenberg said you were great. If they didn't get that experience and felt that we did everything to make their life better, even if one client felt that way, that would keep me up at night. That would upset me that they did not, that, that we let that person out, almost like Joe DiMaggio, that we did not do our very best to make a difference in their life. Yeah. And presumably you have a very, um, tried and tested onboarding experience and that's robust and that, you know, onboarding experience. By the way, does it happen? Of course it does. Do we make mistakes? Of course we do. I think it's rare. I think it's very rare, but it does happen. And, and here's our, here's our strategy on that. You don't make excuses. You apologize, you clean up your mess and you make sure it never happens again. And I think with most people, especially if you've made some deposits in their emotional bank account, as Mr. Covey says, you, you, ha you have some capital there and people are very forgiving. When they're not forgiving is when you don't apologize, when you don't clean up your mess, you make excuses, you blame other people, and then, uh, and then, and then yeah, the, well, the mistakes keep happening. That's the most frustrating, isn't it? You, you just 
you know, sometimes people could just solve the problem by saying, look, I take total ownership of this. I completely dropped the ball. I did this going forward. I'm not going to instead, not only is there a mess up, but now you've got to waste 10 minutes hearing some excuses that you just don't want to hear. Mark, this has been a very, very um, informative. It's always great to catch up with you. What are a couple of things that you've taken away from this conversation that you're going to try to apply to your business? And then maybe in six to 12 months, we'll have you back on and we can see where you're at. And Well, I think, I think one of the things I'm going to do is, as we just kind of finish the fourth quarter is I'm going to I'm going to spend whatever free time I have reading some of Jay's books. I'm going to reread your book. And uh, I'd, I'd love to uh, find some ways that the three of us could work closer together. And if not, it's just great to, uh, to spend 90 minutes with uh, two guys that I respect, uh, you know, one old friend and hopefully one new friend. That's great. You're a very interesting man. I'm, I'm impressed with your beliefs, your values, and your, uh, and your person and, uh, and corporate ethos. It's very intriguing. I, fast, I took a lot of notes. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you to everyone at home or on the go for listening. If you find this show helpful, please hit the follow or subscribe button. It does wonders for the show so more people can find the optimized podcast organically. If you'd like to be on the show, we have an open invite to anyone who wants their challenges solved. If you want to get in the hot seat, you can submit your business right now at theoptimizedpodcast.com. If we think you're a good fit, we'll get you on the show. If you have any questions or recommendation, drop us a comment right here, wherever you're listening to your podcast. We'd love to hear from you. See you on the next episode.